Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. Today we have Moti Rafalan. I, I probably butchered that totally. No, did I do good? I did good. No, amazing. Uh, very good. Function. We are very, very happy to have him here. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting solution. But today we're going to talk a little bit about cloud native applications. And to start it off, I just wanted uh, Modi to introduce himself and kind of tell us a little bit about like where you came from, how this, you know, how this all came about. Sure. Th thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Michael, for uh, having me here. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll tell you kind of the, the short version, right, of a uh, V function, right? So we founded the company four years ago, probably we'll go deeper in, in a few minutes into exactly what we do and how this kind of ties into the subject of this podcast. Uh, but I came to the U.S. Uh, 21 years ago from, from Israel and, and then came to study, stayed, you know, joined EMC, worked for seven years at EMC, corporate America, learned, you know, what you have to learn about how corporate America works. And then I got the startup bug and moved to Silicon Valley in 2008, started a company in the security space, sold it in 2015 to BlackBerry. And then I was looking for a really big problem to start a new company. And that's where we landed at V function, which I think that's the key to building a sustainable, significant company is to find a really tough and big problem. Yeah. And no, that I, is I, yeah. I totally agree. I mean, I think that, you know, that the best uh, you know, solutions are the ones that come from, you know, people that have really seen the industry. And they see these gaps and these holes that kind of that kind of come about. And talking about kind of those gaps in the you know that that we have here is you know the 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 public cloud came out and it was big, it was huge, and now all the CIOs were like, well, at first they were like, let's not touch it, we don't know anything about it, and that was it. Then a little bit later, a couple more years later, they said, all right, you know this is looking pretty promising. We can get things done pretty quick. Let's become what's called cloud first. So they, they all ran around and they told whoever it was that worked for them that, you know what, we're going to become a cloud-first organization. And so everybody ran and scrambled and said, okay, that means we're just going to get our apps up in the cloud, right? And we're just going to push them up there. But that really doesn't mean that it's cloud-native, does it? So, you know, what is what are the problems that people have with that? What are the problems that people are having with their legacy apps that makes them so that they're not really ready for the cloud? So yeah, that, that's absolutely an accurate description, Michael. So when they say cloud first, by the way, I think that I, I think it means that they're probably going to develop first for the cloud, and I think that is the low-hanging fruit uh, when you talk about uh, you know adopting the cloud. If you're building a completely new application, by all means, you can use the modern services that the cloud offers. But the problem is with 81% of the workloads that are not in the cloud. And if you're just going to lift and shift them, which is what the majority of the organizations do, and that is obviously the, you know, being pushed and driven by the cloud providers, you're simply moving a one problem from your own data center to the public kind of uh, cloud. And the problems are that you're not able to realize any cost benefits because these are monolithic applications that are used by that are consuming very large machines, so they are actually more expensive in the cloud. So that's problem number one. You're not seeing the cost savings. Two, you're not getting the elasticity because it is still monolithic architecture. So if you want to have elasticity, you need to basically replicate the same huge monolith, right? So it's costly. You're not getting the elasticity. 
And above all, you're not getting the agility and the engineering velocity that you would get if you were truly cloud native. And that means true microservices. So putting a monolith in a container is not cloud native in my mind. I mean, we can argue about this. Some people may argue differently, but in my mind, if you're not truly transforming the application into dom separate domains, microservices that you then put them in containers, you're not truly cloud native. And only when you break them into those separate domains, you can actually deploy them separately. You can innovate. You can meet, you know, your release cycle obviously shortens. So all that, those are the benefits that you can get from the cloud that you can only get if you transform them into microservices. Hope it's not too long of an answer here. No, no I, I think that's great. And, and I think we're, I mean, I, I, I want to get to this key term because I feel like we're tiptoeing around it a little bit, but the idea of application modernization, right? So, um, you know, the, the, the cloud native application is kind of the end step for 81% of these workloads, but really the process that they need to go through is this modernization. And, and I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of conversation, there's a lot of product, there's a lot of use cases around what that really means and what that entails. Um, something that we talked about, I think in our pre-meeting that I think is interesting is, you know, obviously there's lessons that have been learned over the last three to four years. You know, Mike has kind of walked us through on this journey. Um, are CIOs and technical people, are they struggling to understand the public cloud still, or is the public cloud maybe playing a role in that sort of confusion of what application modernization means today? Um, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to have to be in a hot seat and, def, you know, throw the public clouds under the bus. But is there some misrepresentation that's maybe happening um, that's creating this issue? I'll volunteer to take the hot seat here, <laughs> Andrew. So uh, I think that modernization as a term has been abused, right? So <laughs> some public, you know, cloud vendors would say if you just move the application to the cloud, you've modernized the application. <laughs> Or if you, I, just I, remove, if you just remove Java, you've modernized it, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> or, and, and then the more sophisticated ones, if you put it in a container, you've modernized your application, right? Uh, I'll name names, right? You know, Google has Migrate for Anthos, right? So, yes, they take the monolith and they, you know, add some automation to move it in a con into a container. But still, it's not microservices. It's not cloud native. So, in my mind, they're abusing the, the, the term modernization. You know, clients, the first kind of incentive many times, and that is a sort of mandate that comes from the CEO to the CIO, you need to get to the cloud within two years or three years. So they'll do anything that they can to just migrate the workloads, kind of do the easiest, fastest thing, right? And, and in that sense, they're aligned with the cloud providers. Just get the workloads as soon as possible. The problem comes later when they start realizing that they're not gaining the benefits and they're not ripping you know they're not seeing the cost savings so what I, what we're seeing now is that customers are becoming much more savvy about this and in fact when they sign these multi-billion dollar migration deals they say to the cloud providers and to the system integrators that are involved in these projects stop first do true modernization only then move my application and so that is actually slowing down some of those migrations. That, that is something that we're seeing. I've been wanting to use this analogy for a long time, but I, I look at the public cloud providers almost like a moving company, 
where their goal is to get from your old house to your new house, which is the public cloud. And all they care about is that migration of your crap in one place to your crap in a new place. Um, because quite honestly, once you're in a new place, you're paying rent there, they don't care. Um, and I like your point about doing the modernization first before you do the migration, because as anyone who's ever moved before, you don't want to move stuff that you don't need, right? Exactly. So if you're moving into a new house that's got, you know, maybe you have a pool in your current house, but you don't have a pool in your second house. Like, why do you move the pool stuff with you? You don't need it anymore. Um, that kind of thought process. So I, I think in a lot of ways, the public cloud, um, you know, they're kind of trying to reap the benefits, maybe double dip a little bit and say, well, yeah, we'll get you there. Um, we're just going to put everything into cardboard boxes and shove it in a truck and ship it over. And we're not going to care in the world, uh, you know, what's on it. You've been uh, holding that back for a while, haven't you? Oh, man, I've been wanting to use that analogy for a long time. I was like, this, I, I is, this is the podcast for it. I promise. I, I love that analogy, Andrew. I'm going to use it myself if that's okay. <laughs> that's perfectly I, fine. <laughs> but but I, I want to do comment something about what you said is that many times they will try to convince you, okay, first move to the cloud and then modernize, right? They, they do try to convince you to do that. But once, you, once you've done that, now go find them, right? Now, now, now go and, and do that. And so you don't have sort of, the, press, sort of the, the pressing point to actually force them to help you with that modernization. So you can only do that before you put your workloads there. The minute yeah, you, if you, you if put you your workloads, the, the build starts yeah. Working. If you go to the public cloud and you decide, okay, I'm just, I've in my previous environment, I had a VM, it ran my database. I'm going to do the exact same thing in the public cloud. Well, six months from now, when it comes time to migrate to say something like um, RDS or one of the other managed services, you've got to worry about a database migration. You quite literally have to do that in the public cloud, which is going to have costs associated with it. And that's, I think, things that people kind of sweep under the rug and say, well, objective number one is get to the cloud. Objective number two is modernization. Um, I, I, they have to go hand in hand. There's, there's also the other edge of that is that, you know, the objective was to get to the cloud from your CIO. So yeah. once you've done that, you know, and even if it's not, you know, cloud native, then you've done it. And there's not a lot of incentive for that, that, you know, traditional organization to go back and say, okay, I'm going to go modernize it now because I've done what was told of me. Mike's so, the guy when they say, go paint the yellow lines on the road. Mike's like, well, I painted them all squiggly. Because he never told yeah. me that they had to be straight, you know? <laughs> but but what happens is that CIOs are between the rock and the hard place in that situation because they let's say that they follow the mandate and they migrate their workloads to the cloud. After the first year, they get the sticker shock. Yeah. They get the bill and they say, Holy, what what have we done? This is actually more expensive and we're not getting the benefits. And then this and then the CEO will come again to them or the CFO and say, what have you done? Why am I not seeing the benefits? Yeah, and, and that could go two ways because it can either say, okay, well, I don't like the public cloud because it's too expensive, not knowing that they haven't done anything cloud native or anything about cloud native, or they can go back to their organization and say, why is it so expensive? So either they just totally dispel the public cloud or the, or the, uh, you know, or they go to their org. But yeah, I mean, so that's such a big thing. I mean, people don't realize all the stuff that goes into this term app modernization. It means different things to different people. But really what we're talking about is taking that functionality, grouping it into buckets and making it so that those buckets run in different containers and they're all separate. So you can 
you could version control them separately. You can deploy them separately. You can make sure there's better uptime. You can have critical services in different areas. You know, so there's so much that goes into this. And I think a lot of people that are just getting into it probably don't realize, you know, the, the complexity of all this. So that brings us to, you know, what, how do you know, well, before we get into, you know, what are better solutions, let's talk about what the, what the solution as it is now is. So right now, if you want to do that modernization, typically companies don't have the bandwidth to do it because they're trying to maintain the, you know, status quo. They're trying to do some sort some sort of projects. They probably have like a hundred project backlog that they have right now, and they're just not getting it done. So that means that you're going to go out to consulting. And the consulting dollars are very expensive for app modernization because they don't know anything about your applications. Uh, it may be based off of, you know, some legacy, you know, uh, application that was out years ago, but probably isn't supported anymore. And you've probably morphed that code into a million different things. So they have to analyze it. They have to come up with a plan to, you know, uh, break it apart and figure out the functions and do all this kinds of stuff. They have to use their applications to probably analyze it, which costs money. And, you know, so it's a lot of time, money, investment. So, you know, you know, what is that cost? What is it that we're, what is it that the customer actually gets for all of that? You know? So that, that is the, I think the multi-million dollar question here, Michael, <laughs> because what happens is that it is extremely expensive because it is mainly manual, right? So you bring in the kind of, you know, this, you know, 20 consultants to sit on this application. You spend weeks and months doing this event storming, trying to figure out what are the services, what are the interdependencies, really what are the domains, what's the functionality that it makes sense to extract? Because there's some business idea behind why extract that functionality, right? You want to maintain it separately because you need to innovate, right? Do those things. So you're spending weeks and months on analysis and then you're using whatever tools that are available to you that none of them were designed specifically for modernization. So you will use static code analysis tools, you'll use whatever is available on your ID or whatever Eclipse, IntelliJ provides you. And then you may use some APM tools to understand a little bit about kind of uh, what's happening in the application, right? You guys have at Cisco at Dynamics and you may use that or Dynatrace or some of those tools, but None of them, you know, were developed specifically for the modernization. Kind you of, would argue uh, a lot of the consulting offerings are almost built to address those gaps, right? Like App Dynamics is a great tool. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Cisco guy, but it does tell you a lot of good data and a lot of good metrics. But you really need an expert who can understand how to extract that data and, and that and that sort of those metrics to understand where you can do application modernization, where it makes sense to do that. You need some person who can glom all these, all this data from all these different tools together, and you're paying for that. Quite honestly, you're, and and you're basically paying because the products that you're using potentially are not were never made to do what you're trying to do. Exactly. So App Dynamics, great, great product for performance management, yeah. right? Or things and like, the purpose. Yeah. Right. That that's the purpose. So. I think that what happens is that they end up not doing many of these modernization projects because it is so complex, because it is so expensive. I've worked and, at companies where they do this exercise and absolutely. then that outcome is 
eh, it's not worth it, right? And it's not worth it because you just spent a million dollars on the consulting and you realize it's not worth the move it over. You're just going to let it die in a corner somewhere. Yeah, we'll take the eight hours of downtime if we get it. We'll take the whatever it is, you know, because then we're not going to use any of this new technology. We're just going to say, okay, we'll let this run as long as it will, you know, until DOS is really not working anymore. And, uh, you know, (laughs) that'll be the end of it. But, um, yeah, so, so, you know, that's the problem that people have. Now, what's interesting, and I thought this was really interesting, is that you've kind of created a solution around that, something that not only will help the end user, but potentially help, uh, you know, consultants. And, and, you know, I don't know if their price goes down because they're using your tool. Probably not. But it just makes well, it easier. <laughs> it allows them, right? So it allows them. So we're happy to partner. I'll explain in a second what we do. But yeah, we, we're very kind of friendly to partners, system integrators, cloud providers. And we're happy to share the value that we create and for the benefit of all parties, right? So let's say that a, a consulting company uses our uh, platform. They can lower their price while increasing their margin. Sure. So they can lower the price, increase their margin, the customer wins, the system integrator wins, we win, we get our license revenue for our, for our technology. So, so it can be made to work in all those situations. But let me explain kind of what is it that we did. So first, we founded the company years ago. It's, it was a pretty ambitious sort of goal, and our investors were kind of willing to go for the ride here in terms of assuming the technology risk. Because we said, look, there is absolutely a market for it. The question is, can you build a product that will accelerate and and disrupt this kind of refactoring problem? Uh, So it took us quite a while, right? We worked on it for four years. We only launched it, you know, um, three months ago. Okay, so we launched the product officially only three months ago. It took us a long time. We raised a lot of funding to go do it. And I'm happy to share that it is now working. So what is it that we do? We build this platform that you install it locally wherever the application is running. So no data goes into the cloud. Usually this is sensitive data that customers are not kind of uh, eager to share. The technology you deploy to deploy our JVM agent pretty much like an APM agent, but then we also have additional agent that does static analysis. And then we combine the dynamic analysis and the static analysis to provide you a view that no other product does, which really identifies domains within the application based on the flows that it identifies that are running on the application. So you either insert in production or in pre-production, and then you run some tests. But at the end of the day, the system is able to identify logical domains within the application and also present you the different interdependencies that these domains have. So that is the first part. The second part, using, uh, by the way, the identification of the services you know, is done through deep data science and machine learning. So that kind of identifies those services. But then comes the second part, which also doesn't exist anywhere else, which is the actual platform that allows you to design those services. So based on all the information that our platform collects, it allows you then, like a low-code kind of platform, to drag and drop, move services, merge services, split services further, and really refine the boundaries of those services and come to really the desired microservices architecture that you want to get to. So that is where you spend most of the time on our platform. And by the end of that process, once you feel comfortable with the design, 
with the push of a button, we create those services for you. Now, we don't invent new code. What we do is we scan the original source code, and the system, based on your analysis, copies the different artifacts to create new projects for each of those microservices, and it automatically generates the RESTful APIs for you. So by the end of the process of uh, the platform, you end up with new microservices with RESTful APIs, which you can simply then deploy onto any cloud environment you so choose. We're pretty agnostic in terms of which container technology, which orchestration, which cloud. And keep in mind that we didn't change the original monolith, right? So we copied all those things. So it's a very safe approach. You created these services. You now divert traffic to these services. Slowly, you roll out more and more of those services until you get to the point that nothing is left in the monolith and you have a completely new distributed kind of um, microservices architecture of that original application. That's pretty impressive. I mean, the thing that I think, you know, I, I'll ask you this question, but I would assume that the, the hardest thing to figure out is kind of that grouping of business functions because the, the technical piece you can do. I mean, it's not a, it's not easy. I'm not going to you know say it's easy. But trying to group that into business functions, that's got to be a difficult task. Correct. So, and by the way, it's not 100% uh, accurate always, I'm right? Sure. So it's, it's yeah. mathematics. So we use algorithms that... A, analyze the flows, and then calculate. I'll, I'll try to simplify how it works, right? So let's say you build a for Andrew. system. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I already, I already got a list of questions for the non-application dev here. There you go. So I'll, I'll see uh, how much of this Modi covers in his explanation. Oh. So, <laughs> so let's say we, we build the full call tree of the application, very much like other Java profilers. And then our algorithms basically try to calculate for each method, what if this was the entry point to this service, okay? And what I mean by that, let's say we identify a certain method and we say, okay, this is going to be the entry point. Then we calculate the exclusivity of that service across multiple dimensions. What do I mean by that? What is the class exclusivity of this service? That means, let's say the service now has 80% class exclusivity. It means that 80% of the classes are exclusive to that service assuming that entry point, and 20% are shared with other services. So that is one dimension that the system calculates. It, it also calculates different resources. So for example, database transactions and tables. So it calculates this service accesses this database table. Does it, does, it, does it do it exclusively or do other services access this database table? So I'm trying to simplify, but it, there's a lot of math that is going on in terms of identifying those services. And having said that, once you see the picture after it, the analysis, it doesn't necessarily mean that those are the services. You are in the driver's seat. You're the architect. And you can say, you know what, Mr. You know, or Mrs. V function, what you've done is a good starting point. I'm going to actually change it. And maybe I merge these services. Maybe I split them further. I think that the functionality actually should be part of that other service. By all means, the platform is very flexible, and it allows you to make those changes and design them. So, so, in my understanding, that the outcome of identifying these services is that you've you've identified where and how to break them up into maybe different containers that will then communicate with each other um, as necessary. Now, 
Um, I think going back to the top of the call, we, we were talking about how, you know, putting things in the container is not just the only way to make something cloud native. So are there plans to expand the functionality to consider the deployment environment? So maybe it's not just a Kate's cluster. We're looking at AWS, we're looking at Azure, right? They've got their own managed services. Is is that kind of in the works or are you relying on a third party like a, a Accenture, right, to maybe help you plug all those kind of ideas together? So we... So it's all of the above. A, yes, okay. we rely on partners, Accenture and others, or the client themselves, right? They sure. can do it. Yeah. But there are existing tools by the different cloud providers. Once you have a service, just putting it in a container and deploying it, let's say, on Lambda or on EKS or whatever the environment, these are existing tools that the cloud providers already have. Having said that, we're working on doing more of those integrations. So you actually wouldn't have to think about it. So you'll be able to choose, okay, now I've decomposed this application. Do I want to deploy it on AWS, on Azure, on GCP? With a push of a button, it'll basically go and do that for you. These are existing tools, it's just integration, and we're working on that. So I have a question, you know, based on what you've seen, would you say that, and I, and I understand, trust me, I understand that every application is different, but would you say it's like 60% of the way there, 80%, or it's just different for, depending on you know the application and the complexity so so it varies i would say that it is on average like 90% you know we automate in the creation of those services okay now having said that the more complex the application sure. the more value you get because the visibility and the flexibility in in the design of the microservices is so much greater with the v function platform that Doing it manually is many times simply impossible. So Absolutely. maybe it'll take longer to work on the V function platform, but you'll actually get more value out of it. And what do you anticipate? Do you anticipate that you see more um, kind of uh, consultants using this or, or businesses themselves, or you think it's going to be a mix of a bunch of different things? I think it'll be a mix. I think we're too early to say we, we have an amazing list of partners. I think it's, I'd say almost everyone, you know, shows interest and, sure. and is partnering with us. But there are certain organizations that are more mature, that are more kind of have the, the skill set to do to do it themselves. So so you've got, I think it'll be a mix. And, and I would throw also the cloud providers into this mix. So I think that's sort of another category of uh, partners that actually want to accelerate this as well. So we are partnering with them as well. So different clouds have different maturity in that sense, but but they are partnering with us. Just to clarify for people listening as well, this is exclusive to Java applications, correct? Just making sure. Um, so question number one would just be, I think, for edification, why Java? Why did you guys start there? Uh, and then two, are you intending to expand maybe in, into potentially other uh, languages or, or you know, uh, SDKs? I'm, I'm sure I'm badgering what exactly the terminology sure. is, right? But um, yeah, those those two questions I think would be kind of important. To sure, learn absolutely. So the reason Java is that if you think about enterprises today, that's the backbone of of the Fortune 500 or the Global 2000, right? So. Yeah, I'll give you, I won't name names, but in the largest banks in the U.S., they have, you know, 3,000 to 5,000 job applications in their data center, okay? That, those are the numbers. So, so and, and that is typical, obviously, for banks, but, but other organizations have hundreds of these job applications. 
If you take a number from Oracle, there are 21 billion JVMs in the world. Okay. It's 21. like the McDonald's of, uh, of applications. <laughs> 51 billion served, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and counting, right? So, so, so the, 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 just the sheer magnitude, and we said, you know what, let's focus first on one platform, right, Java. And by the way, we support all the types and flavors, right? So you've got um, uh, WebLogic or WebSphere or JBoss or Tomcat or whatever, right, it might be. So that's an enormous opportunity. As a startup, we wanted to focus on that, and we think that the market is huge for that. We are thinking, you know, down the road, supporting additional languages, you know, .NET, probably the second one after that. There are still mainframes out there, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got a lot to tackle with uh, yeah. with Java, and 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 again, not being an application dev, the output of the exercise is still Java. Right, so you're not you're not changing necessarily the skill you set. That, Andrew, he did. Okay, well that's great. I wanted to further. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't. I, no, I, maybe. In the, so it's a great point. I, I do want to emphasize, right? So yes, we, we maintain it the same, right? It stays Java. Yeah. But now these are lightweight services with APIs, so it allows you, if you want to, let's say, rewrite them in Go or some other modern language. You know, you can go and do it much more easily, and you can do it one service at a time. They don't care if one service is, you know, in some other language. So we sort of allow you to decompose this problem into something that is manageable. And definitely, and if you want to write it in different languages, you can. Yeah, that's a really good point because once it's in microservices, now you have these, you know, by domain in different logical containers. And as we know, you know, with cloud native, it really doesn't matter what language it is; it's just support. It's a support you're connecting to or a name or, uh, you know, whatever it is that you that you want to use. But, you know, now you could just take that one piece and say, hey, look, you know, we want to modernize this one piece because we think it would be better written in Go or something like that. You could do that without having to look at the whole application. You could just take that that one piece and decompose it and and do what you need with it. So that's a really good point. Even though this is a Java only, uh, you know, solution right now. You know, that's that's amazing because it gets you to it gets you so much further down the line. So absolutely, I mean that that is you know a core value proposition of microservices, right? You know, being polyglot. And I would argue that it's you know and, and you know you want like you said you want to hit the the targets that are that are going to be the biggest targets first. And Java is the most legacy out there, you know, and it's still used today. So it's it's legacy and now, but people, you know, obviously want to use new new types of applications. But yeah, so you're you're looking at the ones that are historically very big. So you're looking at things like .NET, you're looking at things like Java. You're not going to go out there and say I'm going to convert Go to something because it's just not out there. It's not going to yeah, be true. you know, a monolith. Correct. You know, some some funny anecdote is that uh, there are all these companies that are focusing on modernizing uh, mainframe. So yeah. they modernize mainframe into Java. <laughs> right? So, That'd be funny. So, yeah. So they modernize it into Java and then they come to us, can you break it into microservices? Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot. A lot of times that happens, and sorry, Andrew, you could. A lot of times that happens because maybe the data structures line up better, or something lines up better between one language and like a mainframe, where those two things are much easier to integrate than using a different language. So you know, a lot of times that's how uh, a app developer is going to choose. You know, if I was going to go to Python from mainframe, that probably wouldn't be the best thing in the world. You know, so uh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Andrew, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. 
No, no. I honestly, I was going to take it a step back out of the V function world for a second because I, I think what's important, huh? How dare you? Oh yeah, um, yeah. And, and only if only because I, I think it's important to highlight for the people who maybe are like, well, I'm not really a V function customer. This sounds like a a, a product pitch, if you will, whatever. Um, but I think what's important what you guys are doing is you're highlighting that maybe we changed the narrative, maybe we changed the direction of how we think about cloud native. We've tried to really force home, hammer home this idea of just going cloud native out of the gate. And I think what your tool is highlighting is really the idea, let's look at the 80%, let's look at the backbone of the financial services, look, look at the, the backbone of our of public sector and, and really understand like to get into this application modernization, you really need to start to pull apart what makes up those applications. And V function is a way to enable that. And I think that's great. I think it's it's great that we finally have a tool on there that's not just doing static code analysis. It's actually got some intelligence to it um, to help expedite this process. And I, I would love to see something like this offered, you know, through you guys by the cloud providers. Because to me, it would almost be like an olive branch, a good faith offering to say, hey, we acknowledge that throwing these things into VMs in the public cloud is not the way to do it. So we want to provide you a service that really gets into the nitty gritty of how to do this properly. You know, yeah. if, I'm Google, if I'm Google, I'm looking at this as a replacement or as a, something that's a, uh, you know, it supports what I'm doing with Anthos, right? Because I think a lot of customers are going to pull back the covers and be like, hey, you're not really doing anything too amazing here. You're just taking the crap I have here and you're putting it in here, you know? Yeah, but Andrew, so, you have to think so. about just just uh, one thing is that you know the service providers typically make more money. Oh, that, I that it's not one hundred percent cloud native. So I would think they wouldn't lead with that. No, I, <laughs> I agree. I think they realize that it's the right thing to do. I, I will say only one thing, and don't try to get more out of me. Wait for the coming reinvent. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> uh, but I, I do want to mention another aspect of our technology, which we didn't touch before, and it's actually very important, as we talk about cloud native. Our, our technology doesn't only allow you to transform these, let's say, monoliths into microservices. The uniqueness of the technology allows you then to prevent those microservices from turning back into monoliths. Okay, because of what we do, you know, it allows you, you know, every VP of engineering, you know, is is afraid of this technical debt thing, right? And technical debt, if you don't repay it very much like financial debt, it accumulates, uh, you know, interest and it compounds, right? To the point that at some point you can't repay it. That is the same thing with the, the same thing with microservices. So once you have V function installed and let's say you transform an application into microservices or you already started with microservices, you still benefit from having the V function agent monitor it because V function will allow you, will alert you on dead code. It will alert you on complexity. It will alert, alert you on technical debt. It will alert you on test coverage. So all those things that prevent you from getting back into that problem of having a monolith. I think that, that's also, we, we don't highlight it a lot because we're still focused on the first kind of phase of the problem, but the technology is something that I think is truly revolutionary in the sense that it helps you avoid the technical debt accumulation. Yeah, you're, you're basically deferring your pain, essentially, and, and, mm -hmm. and this is a way to maybe avoid doing that. Correct. Correct. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's something, you know, it's, 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 
it's rare, you know, because we talk to a lot of different people, uh, you know, on this show. And it's rare that we we get something that I actually haven't heard before. You know, like I, there's there's a new something new that that's that's kind of interesting and actually solves a real problem. So it's um, it's you know, it's it's really it's it's a really unique thing. I think it has a lot of value. Um, Andrew, you know, what do you what do you think? I, mean, I know we have to wrap up pretty soon, but what do you think about, you know, this no, spec- I think. I think this is great. I mean, for those that are listening, you know, Mike and I have a backlog to maybe work through, but one of our conversations recently was with, was with Accenture and their cloud group and their security group. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously they make their money uh, much like the public cloud providers do kind of on the backs of maybe enterprises inability to move to the public cloud um, uh, as quickly and efficiently as possible. So it's refreshing to see a tool come out that says, here is a huge chunk of addressable market, right? Here's a huge TAM, Java op- jet, uh, Java applications moving to the public cloud, modernizing them and just taking that head on. Um, and, and I like that you're doing it in a way that it's like, if you're smart enough and you're inclined enough that you want to do this yourself, you know, like the, the JP Morgans of the world, the huge financial banks where they've got those center of excellences, you can acquire or use a tool like this. Or conversely, you know, you can go work with an Accenture, but you're give, they're now using tools like vFunction to help um, expedite this process. Um, so I, I, I think this is great. And I agree with Mike. Like we talked to a lot of people. Um, a lot of them kind of carry that same sort of, uh, you know, they echo a lot of the same themes. This has been holistically just new. And I, I like, I like uh, what you guys are trying to do with the product. <laughs> Right. Thank you. Um, so, so thank you for your time. Um, this has been a great conversation. Um, I wanted to give you a quick chance if, if you had anything, that, any finishing thoughts or any links that you want to direct people to. As always, we'll put stuff in the show notes, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to close this out. Sure. I mean, you, you can go, any, anyone can go to our website, www.vfunction.com, and we've got a lot of videos there and material, you know, case studies. We'd love to engage with as many. You know, people, organizations that have this problem we want to great. help you. Well, thanks again for the conversation. Uh, this has been another great episode of Quad Unfiltered. Absolutely. Thank you so much.